so I thought we would do a recording on uh, how we feel about photography, talk about different aspects of photography, and uh, also talk about how the summit went, since we just came back from Bryce Canyon and uh, Escalante and photographed a lot, tried different things, new things. We tried the blurring technique <laughs> and... Uh, panning. Panning. Panning technique. Up and down. And then uh, sweeping, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think that um, it brings back the whole um, notion of composition mm -hmm. again and freeing up mm -hmm. uh, composition. And uh, when we were looking at some of your work before, just seeing how colour plays mm -hmm. in the composition. So those experimental photographs with, you know, the movement take us to another place to mm -hmm. to free us up from you know what we've got in our mind about right. how we should make photos and how we should compose them and it's a really good starting place just to yeah break the ice so to speak yeah one of the hardest things about <laughs> photography is uh, loosening up because it's such a technical medium mm. and well uh, I think it worked very well in the Aspens mm -hmm. because it was a new location so uh, you said try this. So everybody was trying trying the pan, the panning, mm -hmm. and I think that just got them in the creative mode. And mm -hmm. then after that, they really started to look for things in the landscape along the creek or the aspens to photograph. Yeah, and what was really interesting with the aspens is that if I hadn't done the the panning. I probably would not have photographed at all because the trees were not interesting. The light wasn't interesting just like that. It was interesting if you if you blurred it. Yeah, that was you know similar I mean? when we went yeah. to the um the Devil's Garden with the rocks there and the light mm -hmm. was a bit flat right. for sunset. Yeah. And um so a lot of us were yeah. playing around with the same technique with the with the red sandstone rocks to right. try and get those blurred effects. But the Aspens worked better. Yeah. The, yeah, yeah. I stopped at the Aspens thinking that's perfect for for blurring because with the blurring technique you have to have a certain amount of color contrast. You know, at least that's what I think. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, but you have to have a certain amount of. You know, you really look at the colors. You don't look at the light as much. And uh, I I don't think I would have taken any photograph of uh, the Aspens if I did not blur. Especially because you could see the sky behind, and and when you have the sky and, and trees, it doesn't always work very well. You're you're better off having just trees. So, it actually opens up possibilities, you know. Well, the panning worked well because yeah. you have the white of the aspens, then you had the pine trees, which has the other contrast. So you have white, and then you have the dark browns, and then the sweeping of the blue of the sky mm -hmm. is was right. what I saw. Yeah. Without even right. doing the panning, right. that's what I visualized. Yeah, exactly. But if uh, if I had taken a real photograph, you know, not blurred, I don't think I would have photographed. Yeah. I think me having the G9 and using that during the, the field workshop helped a lot because when we stopped at that location and there was the, uh, the ice and the snow mm -hmm. over the rocks and the creek, mm -hmm. when Harold asked me, well, how would you compose this? And I took a photograph and when I showed him on the display, he was very surprised. Yeah. Even shook my hand and said congratulations, <laughs> and, I <have laughs> and I felt like, yeah, you know, I do see things, but uh, you know, it was interesting for me to actually start showing 
um, the participants what I actually saw because they never saw what I saw. It could be another great exercise to get people to bring their small cameras, their compact cameras, and you know spend um, a morning or you know through the day photographing with that the photos that you did with the with the G9 that's had such a great screen on the back you could have really a great view of the composition straight away mm -hmm. and um, that's it's a bit harder to see just through a, a small viewfinder on a digital SLR I agree so what I have is uh, I'll, I'll show you because what you did is you took the whole scene and then... Is that my photograph? Yeah, those are your photos. Oh. And then you took the crop, right, of just uh, what you wanted to photograph. Right. And so what I did is I indicated on the crop what you photographed, right? Well, it's that very small area between the... Yeah, I know. right in the middle there. Well, actually, the two rocks are almost like pointing to it. So here is the whole scene and then the crop, right? I marked it in red. Oh. And so this is very interesting because see, I never do this. I never take the whole scene. I only take directly the crop, right? Because I, I don't see the whole scene. I just see the selection. But because you took the whole scene, then we can crop it down, right? Well, I took the whole scene because that's what we looked at initially when we first walked up to it. Right. And then when Harold asked me, how would you photograph this scene? That's when I... Uh, zoomed in or focused and then what the I did right and the then what I did is I cropped it down to exactly that so that's you know it's low resolution but it's exactly that right that's exactly coming and then I rotated it so this is very interesting because you can see the whole scene and then what you extract out of the scene it's a, a great um, exercise in focusing in and training right. your eye to see the, right. the details because so often we want to capture the whole image because right. that's what we see and but often in photography we were required to hone in as it were and um, find something more visually pleasing and the ice photograph is a great mm -hmm. picture of patterns and mm -hmm. light and movement with the water yeah when when you learn photography it's very difficult to to see what other people see. Mm -hmm. And to some extent, as as you go through the process and you get somewhat frustrated, you start to think that you cannot see what other people see. But in fact, you can. Mm -hmm. You just have to understand what they're seeing. Like here, you, you know, Natalie's seeing a very small detail. And of course, everybody sees the whole thing and nothing in particular. But then once you zoom down to the detail and you show it to them, then they know what you see, right? And that's the value of using the G9. Because you can, you know, show on the large viewfinder. The G9 is one of the largest viewfinders that I've ever seen. Also I mean, the, the LCD screen. It's so quick to zoom in yeah. on those little cameras. Right. You know, you don't have to change lenses right. and, you know, play around with that. You just zoom in and you've got your shot. And also there's another factor, which is it's such a small, benign camera that when you do something with it, it doesn't look like you technology is part of the process. It looks like it's exactly what you saw. Because if you bring a big camera, people are like, well, the reason we got that is because you've got this huge lens, this expensive camera. But with a very simple camera, people realize that it's more or less exactly, you know, what you saw, right? It's like a, it's almost like a point and shoot, you know, I mean, and it is a point and shoot. Mm -hmm. So they don't feel that you used a, a camera that they don't have, right? Actually, their camera is better than yours. Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so it puts them in a, in a state of confidence. That, that's mm -hmm. what, you know, because one of the problems of learning is if the teacher uses, uh, you know, let's say you teach math and you have this supercomputer, uh, that's going to put the students at a disadvantage if they just have a calculator. So if you have a very expensive and complicated and sophisticated camera and you show what you do with that, people are going to think, well, I can never do that because I don't have that camera. But if you have a very simple camera, which anybody can have, um, and, and you take a good photo with it, there's a tendency to think, well, my camera is better than that, so I can do this and more. I may get it sharper, I may get it better. So that, that's really... And we have the same thing going on with, uh, you know, the photograph that I took of uh, the blurs, you know, because when I saw the work of Tony Sweet and, and other people that do this technique, I could see immediately what they saw because I have the training. So I, I knew in, without really, you know, talking to them too much that when they go into a scene, they do this, right? For, they don't take the sky. They don't take the ground. They are very selective. It's usually a longer lens, right? None of these are done with wide angles. You know, they are done with longer lenses. So I knew all of that. So when you go there, and you're already that far ahead of the curve because you've already figured it out, you know, in a way. And that's experience, you know. Yeah, but I think it's more than just panning because when you look at your photograph, you have the light quality, mm -hmm. the light on the left. Yeah. You also have depth of field, mm -hmm. so yeah. it's not flat. So there's also other things that you're looking at and thinking about when you're doing that panning as opposed to, you know, not thinking. People right. not think think you're thinking about it. Yeah, I do think, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not so uh, accidental. Yeah. No, After but all. I can see where somebody would look at that, that that wasn't trained in art would think, oh, well, you know, I can, I can do that and not take into consideration where the light's coming from or the depth mm -hmm. or the contrast and all of that. Sure, yeah. No, I think it's all, it's all there. You know, the interesting thing is when you do something and it looks effortless, like yes. those look effortless, people think, oh, my God, it's, I can do that. Yeah, right. And they, they <laughs> believe it. They believe that not because they can do that, they can't. I mean, you know, my, maybe a few can, but most can't. They believe that because it looks effortless. Right. You know? And so, in a sense, it, you feel comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it makes you, you know, buy into the work, in a sense, and, and, and almost consider the work yours. It's the same when you go to a concert and you're like, wow, you know, you hear somebody play so well, it's effortless. You're like, I can do that, right? And, and it's not because you can. It's because you, you, you've almost, you know, made the work yours, in a way, you know? It, it's so, it comes, it, it seems so natural, right? If it looks um, effort, effortlessly, if it looks easy to do, uh, it's a great way in, though, mm -hmm. to start doing it yourself. Oh, it is. Because it, it doesn't feel like, oh, this is a big, complicated process. Sure, there might be more to it once right. you start doing it, but it's a great way in yeah. to start playing around. And after all, it's, it is a play. It's playing when you're doing that kind of yeah. thing to start with. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's just that, and it's totally true, but see, for me, you know, doing, for example, these blurs, I never quite thought, when I, because I had never done any before this time, and, you know, I did an entire series, apparently, that's pretty good, right off the bat, and I, I can't really explain why, but I never thought it was effortless. What I thought is that it had lots of possibilities, you know, but I, I did not see this, that all the possibilities had been explored, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's what interested me. And I think that I can make it more sophisticated, that I can go further. 
because the problem of the blur is that if you it's very easy to get a one or two second exposure and do a total blur but it's a lot more difficult to have a, a blur that actually has some sophistication to it where not everything is is totally like silk you know yes your images have got uh, really great texture in mm -hmm. them. yeah and uh, so there's more than just mm -hmm. it being blurred and smooth all the way through. You want variations, yeah. you want accidents. So it, it's a completely artistic process. It's very, very untechnical in, in the sense that the technique is to have a camera that can record a lot of colors for one thing, because it's really in the variations and lots of contrast, because there's actually a lot of contrast. When you blur things, you actually increase the contrast to some extent, because and, and at the same time you reduce it. So it's a very different handling of the contrast, because areas of high contrast are mixed with areas of low contrast. You know, so it's like mixing a soup, you know, in a way, you know. I'm curious to see what I'll get from the, the 5D because yeah. when I was using that um, panning technique, they generally looked washed out. Mm -hmm. uh, so it'll be interesting to see if I can recover some colour right. um, in Lightroom. I haven't had a look Yeah, it. Yeah, the, the mines are taken with the, the Zeiss lenses on the Hasselblad C and they are very contrasty lenses and I think that it helps. Um, you know, it's because you lose a lot of the contrast when you blur, you know, obviously. So, it, you know, the equipment has a role. It, eventually, it's a recipe. It's like, you know. I had a difficult time doing it with the G9. Yeah, you can't do it with yeah, the G9 so. easily because the settings are very difficult to access. You have to put it in manual and uh, and, and then it's a very small it. camera. Right. Yeah. And I think it works better with a heavy camera because it's so easy to move too much. Or too fast. Or too fast. Yeah. It's really in in the movement, mm -hmm. you know. And like I was saying, Scott McClay did it in 1980, around 1980. And at the time, he was using film in Paris. And the problem was that you need so many exposures to really start to get this right. But with film, first of all, you can't really do a whole lot of exposures because one roll would be at the most 24 exposures. And then second, you don't see the results right away. So the learning curve was very, very slow. It's just like Antelope Canyon. I mean, Antelope Canyon is very difficult to photograph because of the light quality. It's very, very contrasty. And we filmed, we had to go there, go back, you know, 400 miles, get the film developed, see what we did wrong, go back. And it took us years to learn what now people learn in a couple of days. So I think to, ca to sort of sum it up, we, we found three creative techniques, right? That loosen up, uh, you know, and like drawing on the right side of the brain, right? Right, right. The blur, moving the camera when you photograph, the zooming and out, zooming. focus. Yeah, zooming, well, zooming in and out, using a zoom lens mm -hmm. to zoom in and then zoom out, uh, or both at the same time. Selective focus, focusing on something so that it's sharp but the rest is blurred. And then the G9, right, which is a very freeing tool because you can do things with it that you wouldn't know you wouldn't do it with a bigger camera. Mm -hmm. And you can find compositions, right? You call that blurring or panning? I call them blurs. Yeah, because <laughs> I think panning is more yeah. going across. We don't really have yeah. a name for it no. yet. You know? We have to invent one. Yeah, we have to figure a name. But I was, what I was saying is that I do everything to the photo in Lightroom, and then when I go into Photoshop, I seem to hurt it more than help it. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that it's because the colors are so subtle that you almost have to get the information out of the raw file and then convert and, and leave it alone. If you go too far, you, you open the shadows and all of that and it doesn't work. 
it has to have almost a sort of uh, unmanipulated quality. And we are talking about that within us. If somebody says, did you manipulate? The answer is no. I did nothing to it. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> but it, it looks uh, non-manipulated. It looks manipulated. I say, well, you know, things are not always what they look like. Yeah, you know, they right? may think you went into Photoshop and right. selected a pastel or colored yeah. pencil yeah. or... Uh, right. Yeah. Did you, what kind of filter do you use? None. You mean you just shot that? That's straight out of the camera. And it is. So now you, know? you can change yeah. your mind to just say no. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the essay holds because at the end of the essay I say, you know, if you manipulate, say yes. If you don't, say no. Right. So here I'd say no. Is this manipulated? No, it's not. Uh, I could actually do it with film, probably with the same results, right? Because it wouldn't make much of a difference. Just put film in there as opposed to, to digital. I think Just if you started manipulating it, though, you would lose that light quality. You lose the subtlety. You lose the subtlety. Um, that's what happens. You lose mm -hmm. the subtlety, yeah. And, you know, I don't have any experience with it. I just started yesterday, but um, I think you lose the subtlety. There's really something about these that have a, they have a glow, you know. Mm -hmm. it, it's really the... Yeah, but it's very expressive. Yeah. I think it's a great yeah. way to teach, um, you know, expression. What What do you want to express in your yeah. photograph? I wouldn't necessarily um, ask myself, you know, what is the subject in this type of photography? It would be, you know, what do I want mm -hmm. to express, I think. Well, what I was doing, like, when I did this one, was look at the position of the trees. Like, I wanted a big one on the right, and then another dark one on the left and then in the middle more light and and then i position the camera to start the blur so that i would have some of the ground yes. and then a little bit of the sky you know so you know so all of that is sort of thought out there was a lot of thinking going on but you have so much depth in there right in the photograph you have to have a, well you don't have to i mean you can do it different ways you know i don't know if it's just because we know what the technique mm -hmm. is but it seems to hold a spontaneity. It does. It, it yeah. captures yeah. Um, that yeah. that element really well. And I think if you went into Photoshop, then you would kill off the spontaneous effect that it has. I think that's what it is, yeah. It's very vibrant. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's it's my recommendation, If I, and I think eventually I'll probably do a tutorial on this, because I'm sure people are going to say, how do you do that? But um, there is something about just leaving it out of the raw converter and that's it. You know, just dust it off in Photoshop. And that's an extension of a different way of working. Mm -hmm. We're yeah. so used to, you know, trying yeah. to fix things and tidy them up and right. make that was seeking some kind of perfection. Whereas this loosens all of those things. and Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sometimes I've tried to straighten one of them out because some of the trees were leaning, and it actually did not work as well. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> you just leave it as it comes out, you know. But I've seen that a lot in painting. Uh, I remember watching artists work and just be amazed at how fast they could work these things, you know. Like in one afternoon, you could make 10 paintings, you know, or 20. And, and uh, you look at them and you're like... They are not trying to speed up the process. They just get it down so much that it's almost automatic. I saw a, a guy one day, and of course it doesn't work with all sorts of paintings. If you do a very big mural, it, it's not possible. But I saw a guy one day in southern France. He was doing flowers, and he was really shaping the flower with with lots of paint, you know. Mm -hmm. And he could do like bouquets in ten minutes, and just put it aside and do another one. He was like cranking them out like hotcakes, and they're all beautiful. You know, and, and you're like, how do I pick one? You just close your eyes and say, okay, like th this one, you know. 
And and you start to think, is he is he doing this for money? You know, and no, it's just good. You know, I mean, you know, that's just uh, it's hard to explain. There, there's something, uh, you know, when you when you get into a, a very comfortable situation without it, sort of happens by itself. Yes. Well, initially you were you were a little concerned that you know it was coming too easily, but yeah. now I'm still am. Yeah, <laughs> but still, you're but then I enjoy the result. Looking yeah. at the pictures right. and you're seeing all these elements yeah. that um, all right. your prior knowledge and learning has brought yeah. to to make this right. Image. And then I want these on the walls also, which is a good sign, you know. Yeah, I think you know I oh, want to make big prints of these and put them on the walls and and also. Um, you know, touch them up with real pen. So it's not so much do it in Photoshop. I, I don't think I would do anything in Photoshop. Just, uh, you know, add some pen to it and, and make them, um, you know, because you could add, like, the, the yellow color, you could really make it even glow a little bit more, you know, or, or something. I don't know. Maybe and not, uh, you know. Maybe they, they should be just pure like that and leave it alone. Play around with the papers that you mm -hmm. print on. It might look nice on some very textured... I think they'll look beautiful on honeymoon paper, mm. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely have to print some uh, so we can show them, yeah. But I think it, it just shows that how wrong we are with photography, you know. I What I like about uh, this technique is that everybody already has a camera and they can use it, as opposed to the lens baby, where everybody would have to buy uh, a lens baby and do and do those exercises. Well, this seems superior in, in artistic quality to the lens baby because the whole frame is even. What That's I don't true. like with the lens baby, and I've tried the lens baby and I, I got some good images, is that you have blurred and, and, and soft areas. Well, here, you know, and, and they sort of compete with each other. I had somebody look at lens baby photograph and tell me she felt dizzy. Mm -hmm. And that bothered me. Right. You know, and of course it's just one person, but, you know, Sometimes for one that says something, there's one million that don't say anything. Well, this doesn't make me feel dizzy because it's obviously the whole frame, you know. Mm -hmm. There's an equal treatment on the whole frame. What bothers me with the lens, baby, and it doesn't bother me with selective focus because in a sense, it's obvious that you have one thing that's sharp and the background is blurred, not the edges. The, the lens, baby, the center is sharp, but then the edges are blurred or vice versa, right? right? Here, everything is blurred. And, you know, when you look at, at art, you really don't have, you know, any example that I would know of of, of high-quality art where the center of the painting is treated differently from the borders of the painting. There's a sort of evenness all, all, all over the, side, the frame, right? Right, right. <laughs> it's an interesting point, that, isn't yeah. it? It's, um, a, yeah, it's just a different way of seeing things, a different... Yeah, the lens baby really does treat things quite... I, I, not quite sure how to express this, but it's it's just making me feel like it's um, another level of awareness of how we see things and how we want to um, portray what we see, mm -hmm. how we want to express yeah. that. The, I think the minute you treat an area of the image differently than another area of the image, you have a problem because the homogeneity of the work is gone. And uh, a lot of, you know, and it has nothing to do with the lens baby itself. It's a tool, but it has a lot to do with the fact that with art, one of the hardest things is harmony, you know, right. creating a harmonious piece. And very often, 
you know, you don't see it so much in photography because photography isn't taught like art, but, you know, it can be taught like art. We teach it like art. But when I was saying at the Beaux-Arts, I've had paintings that would fail because I couldn't get one color in one area to be the proper color. Exactly. You know, you're like, and, and you keep searching and you keep searching and you just don't get it. And, and so you ask the teacher, you're like, okay, what color? And they have their own idea, but it doesn't work necessarily because they are not you. So they haven't really seen the whole thing, right? And of course, if they tell you, then they give you a crutch, and the next time you're going to go back and say, okay, now I need help with this one. Right? <laughs> they, they can't be behind you every step of the way. You, you can't teach somebody to create harmony by saying, okay, do this. You have to let them solve the problem. I mean, get a headache, basically. Because I, I remember a piece that I did where it was on the bottom left. I could not find the proper color. And I asked for help, and I, I never got help. You know, what I got is, she said, put something, because it was totally white. I had left it totally blank. She said, put something. I said, watch this. I don't care. Just put something, because as long as you don't put something, you'll never find the answer. You know, just put something. And, and the minute you put something, you're on your way, right? Mm -hmm. Because you've, you've already, you know, I think sometimes it's just the fear of putting something, you know. It's, um, where that takes me is that... Uh, when I first saw Tony's work, uh, I wanted to try it, but part of me also felt that I would produce images like his. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what you think. You see right. this, and he described how to how to do it, and you think, okay, instantly I'm going to have those same images. And um, seeing Alain's work, it's so different, and so all all of a sudden, it takes you right away from. From that it shows you that there's lots of different ways to use a technique and I have to qualify what I'm going to say next because I haven't used a lens baby but all the pictures I saw using the lens baby it looked um, like you were going to get the same results oh each time each time and with and mm -hmm. that I might may be wrong with that but um, with this technique it's already showing me that you know different people using the same mm -hmm. technique or the idea of, of the technique mm -hmm. can produce radically different results. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the problems that I had with that technique before I tried it, and you have more problems usually before you try something than after, because you have all these preconceived ideas. And one of the problems that I had is the examples that I had seen were extremely simple. And uh, I don't want to say simplistic, but I think to some extent some of them were. And I was really concerned that basically you would get the same thing all the time. And then I tried it, and I was amazed at the variety, you know, the complexity. I mean, there is actually a lot of refinement possible, and we can go further than what I've done because I haven't spent much time with it. And I, and I started realizing that one of the things that has happened is, you know, be it Tony or the other people that, that use that technique, I think they were very selective about the kind of light that they used. And they tend to use the same type all the time. Well, I started using extremely low light, you know, contrast and low contrast of colors, and it works just as well. You know, like with the sandstone that I showed you before. Right. So there is really nothing says that you can use it only in this kind of light. You can use it in any type of light. What I'm also wondering is, 
the movement of the subject, you know, the lines of the subject is also very important because I did one where there were um, some beautiful grasses mm -hmm. that were flowering. And so I didn't go up and down. I went from side to mm -hmm. side, which pretty much uh, mm -hmm. stayed with the flow and the movement of the bush. And that one actually turned out pretty good. Yeah, I have So with the yeah. trees... You know, you're going up and down. You're not going from side to side. Well, so I'm wondering if the movement. Of yeah, the, the movement lines is important. Subject, if you yeah. follow the the lines of the the subject and you do the same movement. Yeah, like one of them is, you know, I moved up and sideways at the same time. Oh, did you? Yeah. So you did both. Yeah. But also the other thing that was a breakthrough for me is that all the examples that I had seen, I mean, literally all of them, no exception, were all horizontals. And I thought, obviously, these tall trees lean themselves to be verticals. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing verticals. Mm -hmm. right? Our sense of aesthetics come into it. Well, yeah, but also the kind of camera. Because when you have a 35 millimeter, you have to turn it sideways yes. to do a vertical. And that's very difficult mm. to pan with a 35 vertical. Yeah, I tried that. It's, it's really hard. Wobbly. It's yeah. yeah, it's uncommon. It's uncomfortable. But with a, a medium format, I just rotated at the back. And so my camera was exactly in the same exact position for horizontals and verticals. And so all of a sudden, I was able to do verticals with the exact same movement than I would do horizontal. And so they, there is a, they go together, right? Yes. You know? So the camera is very, very important. You want to have a heavy camera, and you want to have a camera that, that can, can hold in your hand. And I think the best camera for this is a medium format. Um, and I think that once people start to see what's coming out of this, I think they are going to go from 35 millimeter to medium format mm -hmm. because uh, it's just way com more comfortable. And I also believe that the Hasselblad C is probably the best one for a simple reason. All of the others have non-rotating digital backs. You rotate the camera. Right. This one has a rotating digital back. I mean, not it doesn't rotate. You just take the back off and you position it horizontal or vertical, which is a real pain because every time you risk damaging the sensor and getting dust and so on. But but the bonus is that once you rotate it, the camera stays in the same position. You know, it might not seem like much. People would say, well, you know, I can hold it sideways. I'm I'm a big guy. You know, <laughs> I've grown up. Yeah, that's true. But think about it that way. Let's say you know you do a vertical panning. You hold a brush like that. Now you do an horizontal painting and you have to hold a brush like this, mm -hmm. right? It changes everything. Mm -hmm. You're going to be more comfortable in one way or another. You can't have two different techniques, right? And, and this is very, very subtle, you know, where, you know, and I could see on the LCD screen quite clearly when I was getting better results than others because, you, can, you know, I look at the detail. Um, yeah, so, so I think, um, I mean, you can only imagine what you can do if we had a sunset light on the forest. <laughs> you know, with actual actual depth. I mean, this was flat, right? Yeah. So we, right. you know, there is way more possibilities. Yeah. No, there is a there is a concept in. Uh, I, f I don't know if it's marketing, but it's in in general because I was I was doing some work with uh, my files to display them on screen, and so we started talking, and I started saying, uh, "You can talk away your best ideas," and that's a true true fact that you have a meeting with friends and you start shooting the breeze and you you talk with these great ideas. And then you're like, wow, I feel good, and you never get to do them. But if you never talked about it, you would have to do it, you know? Yes. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes when I have big ideas, I actually don't speak about them at it, all. Right. Because yeah. there's, um, there's something about the energy that goes into talking that takes away from the doing. It's from like, the doing, it's yeah. You're talking your best ideas out. And it yeah. kind of um, it dissipates 
right the the energy so you don't hold it within so much and sometimes you yeah. just don't do it no well you're done yeah. yeah it's like when you make a sale we always teach people once you've closed the sale and you got the person to buy whatever it is they're buying don't talk anymore because if you keep talking and like, oh, I'm so happy you're getting it and this and that, and I can't, you know, I, I'm, I'm really excited to know where you're going to hang it and tell me what your friends think. The person very often will turn around and look at you and say, you know what, I need to look at this one over there. And then they start to change their minds and eventually they walk away buying nothing. And that's because you've talked them out of it. They were convinced, but now that you talk, they start thinking again and they change their minds. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to stop talking. There's a time to talk about things and then there's a time not to talk about things. So anyway, uh, one thing I wanted to show here was uh, photographs that are sharp and not sharp, right? So the same exact scene with the sharp photo and then the blurred photo. Totally different. It's more dynamic uh, with the blurs because you get more contrast. The, the um, sharper image is flatter, that you sense the, mm -hmm. the flatness in the light a little bit more. And also flatter in meaning, I think, mm. you know? I mean, a flatter impression, maybe. A bit more static. Yeah. yeah. Well, flatter in, in artistic terms, you mm -hmm. know, that less interesting, maybe, I don't know. I think the blurring technique also helps you see the color palette. I think when, sometimes in the field, mm -hmm. when people are looking at uh, a scene in front of them, they have a hard time knowing what the color palette is. But I think once you blur it and you can see the colors, it mm -hmm. helps you yeah. with the color palette. Um, I think it's a new style because when you think of it, it's very impressionistic. Yes. When you look at the impressionist, uh, be it Van Gogh or, you know, Sarah is the case in point, obviously. They would do so that as you back up from the painting, all the colors start to merge. You know, Sarah is the most famous for that because of him, he was a pointyist. Where you do little dabs of colors. When you're ten inches away, you see all the dabs of color. But when you're ten feet away, you just see the colors mix. The, mi the colors mm -hmm. blending, yeah. mixed yeah. together. And this is what happens here. When you look at the sharp photograph, the colors are all very, very precisely placed, and and there's no way you can escape that unless you have some you know blurring vision problem. But once you blur the thing. You, now all the colors are merged, right? And then the light is also merged. Mm -hmm. So there is a sort of a blending effect where the whole composition holds together way better, I think, like this than it does like that. It does. And it's exactly the same. I mean, I, I did actually, I was so careful with this that the position of the tree was exactly, exactly the same. Um, and, and then there's different levels of blending also. It also becomes a, a play of light. Like right. you can see the color palette more um, you know, much better, but you can see the the light on the trunk, you know, the little um, areas where it's lighter and darker. This one right. and this one are exactly, exactly the same. Um, see the position of the trees? It's almost as though the eye is more focused with the blurred image. Yeah, it's just more interesting, mm. I think. I, I don't know, I mean, I like it better blurred. <laughs> <laughs> So we buy these super sharp lenses and we do that. Yeah. <laughs> and then we tell people, they're like, how did you get that? Well, I use these lenses, you know. Yeah, they right. are, and they probably are thinking, this guy is nuts, yeah. you know. Uh, you know, now they are really confused. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to go to their dealer and say, give me your best lenses because I'm going to blur it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, you know, with the, um, say you went to the other extreme and had 
you know, a plastic camera like a, you know, a Holger or mm. something like that and tried this technique, you'd get very different results. Yeah, you would. Because of yeah. the nature of the lens. Yeah, but the, the, the nice, the Holger has the same sort of problem. I have one. Um, I mean, they're only $20, yeah. so we can all have one, right? But again, you know, the lens is sort of sharper in the middle and on the edge That's or right. vice versa. You know, you get dark. And, and eventually, there's that, that same problem of, of having the center different from the edge, you know. The consistency. The consistency. And, and that's what I was yeah. referring to. You, yeah. would, you would get that kind of hot spot in the middle right. almost. Yeah. Slightly yeah. sharper in the middle and fuzzy around the edges. I mean, you look at J Jackson Pollock's paintings. Uh, they might be whatever you want, but they respect all the rules of art. You know? right. I mean, he may have been you know, an alcoholic. He may have had extremely bizarre things. You, know, you may or may not like it. I mean, I like it. But he respected all the rules of art, you know, except one, which was the format. But then again, if you go to some, you know, like the Sistine Chapel, I mean, what is the format, right? You know, mm. I mean, the when I went to the Sistine Chapel, I, uh, you know, I looked at the ceiling and I was like, okay, I must be in the wrong place. <laughs> because I was looking for this big painting with the finger, right? Exactly. And... I'm like, you know, where is it? You know, I, I thought, you know, probably there's more than a finger. But what I was not ready for is that there is one million little scenes, and that's one of them. Yes. And why did somebody pick this one and not all the others, right? You know, so it's, it's. I mean, I was really confused. Then how do you photograph the ceiling, right? I put my camera on the floor, and, and <laughs> because you can't use a tripod. you lay on the floor? <laughs> no, I just put the camera on the floor with the lens pointing up, and I did the timer, and it took a photo. But I was very confused. So the format is really, you know, not really an issue because if you if you go back in time, you find example of very weird format. Yes, yeah. I mean, the Greeks painted on Enforas, you know, uh, that's, that's a pretty weak format, you mm. know. And um, but if you look at his work, it respects all the rules of art, which is it's it's homogeneous, you know, it's it has harmony. The color palette is is always extremely well done, mm -hmm. you know. Definitely. I mean, I saw a show of Pollock in Paris where they had like three pieces, you know, they had three rooms, so one piece per room, it wrapped all around. And uh, one of them was called Spring, and it felt like Spring, mm. you know. <laughs> what more do you want, right? But you could hear the birds chirping, the butterflies coming in. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like this coming out of the cold into warmth, right, mm, and, and, right. And, and, and life. So it's Spring, right? I mean, you know, do we have to have the little worms crawling out of the holes, you know? Uh, one of the concepts of art that I, I really, it's one, you know, I'd say it's a pet peeve, is the concept of, uh, uh, you know, little details that we really don't need, you know, anecdotes, it's called anecdotal mm -hmm. painting, uh, which is more like, you know, if you read a little, a small town newspaper, they'll tell you about all the cats that have been squished by cars, you know, on the <laughs> night before. That's really anecdotal, you know. And uh, very often in photography, you see that where people are more concerned with, you know, a little creature somewhere than about the whole photo. And uh, this is not anecdotal. It's about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm thinking that the lens baby, to some extent, might be a little anecdotal, where it's about this little thing that I want sharp and all the rest is blurry. How far can you go with that? You know, the, a medium is only as good as its potential. The reason why you have these art movements, you know, uh, modern art, cubism, abstract, impressionism, and all of that, they've been extremely successful because the potential is enormous. Mm -hmm. Even surrealism, which at first you're like, okay, how far can you go with automatic writing, you know, writing in the dark and, you know, not thinking about what you write and looking at what you have later and realizing you never thought you wrote what you wrote. Well, they took it to another level with the painting, right? 
Because surrealism was a writing movement. And then all of a sudden, uh, André Breton thought, we really have to attract the general public and they are more visual, so we all have a painter, right? So he made Dali the official painter of surrealism and gave him a medal <laughs> and uh, put him on a pedestal and said, you are the official painter uh, you know, of surrealism. And uh, all of a sudden, Dali took it in another direction where not only did he, did he represent dreams, but he represented you know, his own dream, which were totally different from anybody else's dreams, right? And, and so the potential of a medium is really dependent on the medium, you know, the, the, the technique. And uh, I, I think that has a lot of potential, mm-hmm. more, more so than... I remember when we went to, um, do you remember when we went to Howard's house and that he had those two large oil paintings? Right. And he pointed at them and said, well, what do you think? And you and I both looked at him and said, we love surrealism. And he was flabbergasted. Yeah, because he had never realized that, and he paid 10, 10 to 15,000 for his paintings, no, right? No, I think he paid 60,000. 60,000. He paid a, a small fortune for it, but he did not know they were surrealists. Oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Oh. And not only did I say that, but I said, you know, there's really something with Russian surrealism. Yes, yes. because it was. That's yeah. different yeah. from, yes. you know, let's say Extreme European yeah, yeah. surrealism. Well, it's more Baroque. Yes. You know, I mean, the Russians uh, apparently have dreams that involve the Tsar, (laughs) 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 you know, and and the culture of the Tsar, you know, with lots of gold and draperies and and, and people with extremely ornate stuff, you know. The the Russian, yeah, it's very ornate, you Mm. know. Portraits. Yeah, 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 like big oil paintings in the hallways, you know, of people doing bizarre things, right? So. And when we left, uh, I said to Alan, why was he so surprised or shocked? Yeah. Well, because we knew art said. history, right? Yeah, yeah. And he did not. He had yeah. just, uh, you know, uh, a love for the piece, but no yes. awareness of where it came from, you know. Yeah. But it's very difficult to understand art if you don't see where it fits in, right? You know, the reason why I can do this is, is in part because, you know, I, I understand this technique. And I think I've been, you know, beginner's luck maybe or whatever. But also because I know where it fits. I mean, I don't want to do more of this, right? You know, the other technique, you know, the, this, is, this is the sharp version, right? And then that's the blurry version, right? These are exactly the same trees, right? Very yeah. different results. I know. And I did that. See, this is, this is the sharp version. And that's the blurry version, right? Exactly the same trees, exactly the same composition. And I did it for teaching, because I thought I have to take the exact thing, blurry and sharp, so that I can tell people that's the way it looks sharp normally, and that's the way it looks blurry, you know? And that shows that you can have the exact same composition, which is very interesting, because I did not compose this for the blurriness. I composed it because that's the way I would compose it anyway. Mm-hmm. I changed, I, the composition did not change. It's just. But now it's blurry. It's, it's interesting because when I was trying um, this blurring technique, I was being much less concerned with composition. I mean, to a degree mm-hmm. I was taking it in, but I was much more concerned with trying to get um, a, a colour palette that I liked, mm-hmm. you know, or a sense of colour, because they were looking very washed out. So I would look for a tree, you know, like um, vertical aspens or something like that, but I was much more concerned with uh, the the effect, how it worked, and what kind of you know end result I would get rather than composition. Composition was a bit further back 
Yeah, in right. So you were like looking for like uh, patches of color or areas of color and, and different colors too, just mm -hmm. to add some depth or and uh, or variation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's also more restful to the eye, I think. You know, because mm -hmm. when you go to the the thing, you have to look at all the details, right? While here, you just look at the color palette. So, so there's also a visual phenomena going on where your eye isn't lost in studying the detail; mm -hmm. it just starts to study the light and the color. And, uh, but look, I think the composition is very important. Yes. Yeah. Just looking at your yeah. work, I'm yeah. seeing how like maybe that's a good place to start with the sharp image. Yeah. So, so you look at the composition, yeah. and then from there you go into the right. So that's how I did it. Because yeah. what mm -hmm. I was doing was much more experimental, right. and um, I probably don't have something to refer back to, like a, right. a set image in mind right. to refer back to, but yours having both then you've got a reference point yeah I it did doesn't matter in the end but just in terms of the process it's right it's a good way to do it i did both i mean this this particular location that's when we stopped the first time in uh, capital reef and uh, i really wanted to photograph with details that was my idea mm. i wanted to photograph with details because i there was beautiful light it was very soft you know beautiful details and then I thought, well, I got to keep trying this technique because I had tried it with the aspens and I thought that's not enough. I got to keep trying it all day long. So I thought, well, I'm going to do a blur and sharp, right? So that I can show the example. And at least if, I, if the blur doesn't work, which you probably won't, right? That's my thinking. I'll have the sharp one. But then now the sharp one is not interesting to me. <laughs> the blurry one is. So, you know, it's... it's uh, well, again, the blurred one is so much more vibrant. Yeah, it's very interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's so much more expressive, you know, because I think there is also a mystery for the viewer, which is what is it, right? Mm. Well, the, the the sharp one, the mystery is revealed. I think you do s ask yourself what is it, but when you look at the color scheme, you realize it is fall. Right. It yes. is. Yeah. So it's You're Jackson. You're expressing right. fall. Yeah. It so it's too. Jackson Pollock, right? Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. what the way I see it. Yeah. Something I was thinking about before with the, the lens baby again, you know, maybe one way to see that, e even if you can't go, you, you know, individually we may not go so far with it, um, maybe it's just another way of loosening, loosening us up, trying something different. Definitely. Uh, it just breaks down the um, this concept of photographing reality that I know I've held in my head and haven't even been conscious of it until recently that I'd go out taking photographs and um, somehow I thought I should come back with something that I thought was reality. Mm. Well we are taught that. Yeah. You know and then we pay so much money for for sharp you know cameras and you know I mean, there is a whole bagage that we have to let go, you know, and, and the nice thing with the blur technique is you can let go of all of it all at once. Mm. I mean, you can drop an enormous amount of bagage just like that in one second, you know. Right. And then you can go back to painting, which, you know, I like to bounce back and forth ideas between painting and photography. If you, if you buy paint and paint brushes and canvas and you pay a small fortune for it because those are not cheap either, you don't think, you know, I'm paying for the sharpness, right? You know, you you think I'm paying for the quality of the pen, the brushes, and the canvas, and so it doesn't really matter what you paint, right? See, painters don't have a preconceived idea, because they don't have this hang-up with sharpness, you know, and with detail and with all of that. Mm. 
you know, they just have this concern to have, you know, nice or good quality tools, right? But then after that, you know, you do whatever you want with it. But with, with photography, we have this sort of concern, you know, that um, because the cameras are sold on the basis of their sharpness, their, their, you know, all of that, right? And I think that if we start to have, the breakthrough would have to be that one of these would be used by a camera manufacturer as advertisement. Mm. Then all of a sudden people are buying these cameras, not because they are sharp, but because they have color depth, because they have great color quality, because they have great ability to gather light. Maybe the ability to mix up the light and the colors, you know, when you blur. The movement. The movement, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden we have a whole generation of people doing that. They'd be like, I don't care with sharpness. Right? You know, it, it's... Uh, well, I think what Venus was saying is that uh, using these techniques relieves you of the pressure and the stress of having to create a masterpiece right away. And that's when you create one, right? Yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's when you don't want to that you do, right? Yeah. You know? Well, because you're relaxed, I think, and you're just really enjoying what you're doing. And it's happening, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the big problems in American literature and I think it still is a problem, but I think people have given up, was that there hadn't been the, what we call the great American novel. I don't know if you heard about that. Yeah. So one writer one day said, well, I wrote a book. They said, what is the title? He says, well, it's the great American novel. <laughs> they say, what do you mean? He said, that's the title. And then I forgot who the author is. He can, he can do a search. And, and what he was trying to do is say, listen, if we write this book, which I did, the great American novel, we can move on. Because otherwise we can't quite do it. You know, Tolstoy did not write War and Peace because he wanted to write the great Russian novel, right? He just did it because, you know, that's what he did, right? So the more you're trying to create a masterpiece, the least you probably will, you know. So this gets it out of your system, you know, you can't, right? I was talking to you about this the other day. I was finding the whole, you know, digital process um, challenging having come from a film background because when you uh, would photograph with slides or transparencies, you would get the results back from the lab and you would see straight away what you had and you knew which ones worked and which ones didn't. And um, with digital, you have to go in and you know, play around with the, the colors and, and uh, process your, your digital files to get something that you want. And I was quite, experiencing quite a frustration because um, I would see the raw files and feel a bit deflated because they didn't look that interesting, you know, they, they looked flat or the colours weren't right. Or, right. And playing around with these other techniques is really shifting me away from uh, what I realise now were preconceived notions of how things should look. And during all of this also, um, I feel like I'm starting to see colour better too because it's not in the, you know, it's not represented in the, mm -hmm. in the, the straight image, if you like. Mm -hmm. Right. And when we were driving the other day, I was looking at, you know, the, the hills and everything, and I was seeing all these amazing colours that I just didn't even notice before, like purples and um, different browns, mm -hmm. and there were just so many, and mm -hmm. I just felt like that was, a, you know, this process is already starting to be a bit of a revelation. Yeah, you were telling me yeah. that you saw all these colors. Right. And I was like, well, they are there. Yeah. But you don't know they are there. Yeah. And th this technique, it's so, um, you know, it refers right back to the Impressionists. 
and mm. how they would paint light and all the different colors in light. Yeah, well, what's amazing also about it is how important the color balance is because it would seem like you can make this any color you want. The right color is found by neutralizing a neutral color, right? Like the tree trunk? Yeah, like here I have a, a tree trunk and if I neutralize the tree trunk, I get this, right? But if I neutralize some other area, somehow it's all wrong, right? Right. You know? Because that's, we, we, it's almost like it refers back to reality in a very weird sort of way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I, I, I do all of them. I color balance them by neutralizing a basic area. You know, I, I have these presets, you know. Um, but they are basically all the same, it's just the color balance is different. Like this is nice, but then if I neutralize this tree trunk, you know, well, some, there's, a, there's, some, there's some new, a little bit, you know. But that's too much, you know, for example. It's, it's interesting doing that, isn't it? Because it really changes, and it changes the L like feel. This is very soft, it. see? Yeah. Like, I like this, for example. This has the feeling of a wood. Look at this one. That's a, where is it? This, yeah, I like this one. Mm, it's a, it's nice like one. something mm. is dark in the corner, you know. Mm. And you really, I think to some extent it gives me also the feeling of, you know, when you run through the woods, yes. you don't see the trees, you start to see just the shapes, you know. I don't know. Almost like a, when you photograph a race car on the track. Right. Yeah, right. You know, you see the color just uh, go by, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's something about it that sort of duplicates the human experience. And the other thing that's very interesting is Tony showed us how you take 10 photos and then you merge them together. Some of this is very close to that. That's right. But doesn't have that, that very precise staggered thing because what I, I, I don't think I want to do that technique. For one thing, it's very long and the Canon cannot do it automatically. So I would have to get an icon, um, which is fine. But, you know, and then the other thing is it's almost like too precise. You, you see the 10 layers, you know, while well here you have the feeling of staggering, but it's so much richer, you know. Well, I think when you do it, this technique, it puts you right in the creative and the right side of the brain. Right. Whereas the other one, I think it's more technical. So you're constantly thinking of where you need to focus and yeah. how much you're moving up each time. And you're trying to keep mm -hmm. that same amount each time. So I, you know, it may not necessarily help put you in the right side of the brain or in the creative mode because you're still so technical. I think it defeats the purpose. Yeah. It's saying, mm -hmm. let's loosen up, but then at the same time, it's let's saying, not really loosen up let's tense up, <laughs> 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 you know, because well, I, I got to count, I got to focus, I got to <laughs> make sure it's not too high. And, and, you know, I'm like, because I just want to shake my camera. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, why can't I just shake my camera? You know, is it okay? <laughs> well, I didn't even try it because I kind of thought, oh, I need to set up my tripod because it's... I'm not going to have it right, mm -hmm. and it's it was a lot to do, and so I thought, oh well, I'll do it later at some other stage. Whereas, just you know, tilting your camera up was very easy. Oh yeah, you know, you can do it right there. Right. But I remember Tony saying that, um, you know, the amount that you move the camera up each time was makes a, a huge difference. Makes yeah. a huge difference mm -hmm. that it's consistent, and how much the results right. would be so much better. Well, look at this one. I managed to get the canyon wall color to be exactly the right color. Yes. Yeah. See, here yeah. yeah. it looks very real. It does. You know, it's very nice. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think I would see that if uh, 
I was running through the trees, you know. Yes. Or if a mountain lion jumped after me, and <laughs> I was like, ah, you know. Also, you know, when we were out there, it was quite windy, and right. um, all the, <laughs> right. the leaves exactly. were, were um, blowing and shimmering, so it looked a bit like that too. That's true. You get that same effect with the water moving in the yeah, creek. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Actually, you know, that's, that's with, a good um, idea. That we should photograph moving water with the shaking. That would be great. Because yeah. we've all photographed trees. I mean, that's yeah, what we've all right. done, that's you know. Right. I mean, we are really at the, I think, the infancy of this thing. With reflections, know? it yeah. could be really amazing. Yeah, yeah. Be yeah, yeah with reflections. Yeah. With, I mean, there is an enormous potential, mm. you know. It's, it's, I don't think there is, a, uh, you know, really... Uh, I, I was coming at this doing what I've seen because I thought only if maybe that's the subject, right? But it's not. Mm. Although I think that when you have a lot of sky, it doesn't work as well, you know. But again. It worked well in the photos that you had with a very blue sky, so it wasn't so washed out. Right. It wasn't white. Yeah, yeah it wasn't white. This is the, the Devil's Garden thing. Maybe, you know, so much of this depends on the colour balance. I think it also depends on the subject. I do too. I, di I didn't. Um, some of the ones that we saw from Bryce Canyon with those formations, I don't think work near as well as the trees. It works well with trees, there's no doubt. Yes. Yeah. But I don't think it's limited to that. I just think that we have good examples right. of trees, photographs done with that technique. It's taking a while. So you're, you're getting nice um, shapes with the trees behind the rocks in that one, but the, maybe because the rocks are so take up so much area you know they're one mass block of color and shape so much depends on the color balance it's, it's very mm. interesting it shows really that a panel is only as good as the color coloring skills you know these ones look a lot muddier don't they yeah well but i haven't color balanced them at all mm. so see once i start to get uh, oh well that's yeah right it's more interesting isn't it yeah so much of this depends on the... What's great is I can use presets from before <laughs> and it works, you know. Using the presets changes it all together. Yeah, it, it changes everything, yeah. Well, you have to use the presets because it simplifies, uh, um, you know, the process. You don't have to... Because this is really not a technical process very much. And so if you... Uh, if you go through all the settings, see, like this becomes very interesting all of a sudden, right? Yeah. You know? It reminds me a little bit of uh, cross processing that we used to do with film. You know, like put transparency film into um, C41 developers. Right. Or the other way around. And um, you would get very, you know, you get big color shifts, but it often worked really well. I think that part of the problem with with this is that there was uh, there was very little color. It's <coughs> a very overcast. But look at the, that. The sky was not very interesting that night. We didn't get a good sunrise uh, sunset. I think it's a wide open technique. I'm not sure about the the you know the big blocks of rock. They yeah. just look I don't know. They look a bit. Yeah, but look at the change once you. Yeah, I, I don't think it's the best subject in the world. But so much can see, you know, it's very, it's a very interesting process because what you have are big blocks of rock, right? Mm -hmm. So they are heavy, massive, yes, you know. Yeah. But then if you if you use a color palette, a color palette that's very light, 
then all of a sudden it, it counterbalances well, that, right? This See? one, it changes it all together. Uh, because you're using a very light color palette, very soft, you know, almost like a wash. The rocks become ethereal. Right, <laughs> and so it's, it's, it, it makes them not so heavy, right? I mean, we can also work on the clarity, right? We can declarify, you know, as opposed to uh, over-clarify. So it's really an artistic process because that's what you do in painting, you know. You you would you would play up or down, you know. These things, you know. I mean, this is a sepia, literally uh, photograph. Me, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying that it's a good photograph, but it's. Uh, I need to take a break. Yeah, I think we're all tired. Yeah. I'd like to talk about the shows yeah. later on. Right, 